Hello and welcome to Ideas Matter, the podcast that takes the important issues of our times and explores the ideas and intellectual trends that have helped shape where we are today. I'm Alistair Donald from the Battle of Ideas educational charity, which on June the 20th will host the event The Academy 2020 with a series of lectures and discussions exploring the theme psychology and democracy. This is the 10th year of the Academy, and while we cannot gather together in person at our normal Y Boston Lakes venue, and we'll no doubt miss the sociability of that occasion, we're very pleased to be able to offer the intellectual nourishment generated by the summer school, on this occasion getting together virtually in the form of an online event on Zoom. The lectures and book discussions will help place contemporary developments in a historical and philosophical context. At the moment, those in authority are extremely concerned about how to control the narrative and look to behavioural scientists and epidemiologists and the like to understand and shape collective behaviour. We'll be examining how psychological categories came to occupy such an important role in public life and why psychology has become an important and popular way of explaining the decisions and the supposed deficiencies of the general public. The full programme of talks and speakers and details of how to register can be found at theboi.co.uk. Head to the page Academy Online. There, you'll also find some books that we think will be helpful in situating the talks. One of those works is Sigmund Freud's Civilization and Its Discontents. And as a taster for the online event, and to help give some context to the discussions, here on this podcast we read the archives of past Academy events and bring you the lecture, Freud, The Unconscious and the Repressive Society, which looks at, amongst other things, the shift in Freud's work from a focus on the individual psyche to how some of those ideas could be applied at a wider level of society and culture. The lecturer is Dr Michael Fitzpatrick. On the occasion of Freud's death, shortly after Freud's death, the poet W.H. Auden wrote an obituary tribute. If often he was wrong, and at times absurd, to us he is, now, he is no more a person now, but a whole climate of opinion, under whom we conduct our different lives. I was recalled to that of a couple of weeks ago, and I picked up a copy of Evening Standard on the tube, and I found an interview with the actor Daniel Radcliffe, who, as you probably know, has just got a new girlfriend who's five years older than him. (laughs) I never understand men who are threatened by intelligent women, he says. Maybe it's a Freudian thing. (laughs) My mum is a really intelligent, smart woman, feisty as hell, so that's always my basis of comparison. I turned over the same paper to find a review of a new novel which is based on the uh, story of Freud's mistress, the the theory that he had an affair with his sister-in-law, a notion for which there's no historical evidence whatsoever, but it's an extensive novel and a discussion of how this invalidates all of Freud's theories. But my favourite Freud story of recent times was the... uh, You probably saw this Greenpeace stunt where half a dozen people climbed up the Shard in London to protest about something or other. You probably noticed that, but you didn't notice that the operation was called Operation Sigmund. (laughs) 
after Freud and his theories on why people climb tall buildings. <laughs> I have to confess I indulged myself in a little quiet snigger to thinking that if one of them had fallen off the shard and I'd have laughed about it, that would be what you'd call schadenfreude. <laughs> I think that's enough of that. <laughs> I think anybody, anybody who's subjected to such gratuitous abuse over such a long period of time, I mean, now so many decades after his death, you have to conclude he must be on to something. <laughs> and I think in that, in that spirit, I want to look at a couple of aspects. I haven't got a lot of time, and it's obviously a vast subject, but just to look at a few aspects of Freud. First of all, to look at the writings of the 20s and the 30s, the period of the civilization and its discontents, when Freud shifted his focus of attention from his earlier work on the uh, development of the individual psyche to questions of society and culture and the application of his uh, theories that derive from the study of the individual to the wider study of society. Secondly, I want to look at, in a more detail, the key aspect of that, the concept of repression. As he said, the keystone for the understanding of neuroses as it developed from the early psychoanalytic studies. And on the other hand, a key element of a culture, as he described all human cultures, cultures based on coercion, the repression of instinct, the, the, the uh, uh, suppression of, uh, of instinctive drives. And then finally, I want to turn fairly briefly to look at the, uh, not so much at Freud as the revisions of Freud, the assimilation of Freud after his death in somewhat revised, I would say neutralised, trivialised forms. Uh, just to look at, give that, put the whole thing in a bit of wider context. So let's talk about civilization and its discontents. The context of it, obviously very familiar to you all, but it's just worth emphasising it was written in very grim times in between the First World War and the Second World War, a period of great turbulence in Europe and great trauma to everybody who lived through it. Vienna City right at the centre of that turbulence. Uh, it was a period where, during which Freud himself uh, lived through a terminal illness, a progressively developing oropharyngeal cancer, which is a very debilitating character. It's also worth pointing out he was an old man. He was in his 70s uh, and 80s uh, during this period. So it's not surprising that there's a somewhat dark and pessimistic tone. Uh, in fact, someone might be more surprising, which is not even darker and more pessimistic. The whole work is based on a complex analogy between, on the one hand, the notions developed through the study of the individual, and on the other hand, the development of society. The early work on uh, the whole development of psychoanalysis, the study of the development of the infant in uh, the basic relations of the family, the development of the theories of the conscious and the unconscious, the ego, the id and the superego, all this is very familiar. The you know, application of the, of the techniques he developed in that area, particularly dream analysis, but other things as well, and the presentation of a complex, systematic theory of the human mind, of a quite am extraordinarily ambitious and creative character, developed and presented in the mechanistic metaphors of 19th century science, with which Freud was very familiar and from which culture he directly emerged, and indeed never abandoned. The development 
that took place subsequently was the application or the shift away from those clinical methods to the methods of the study of history and anthropology and culture and religion that was, were required to try and grasp the significance of this basic theory of the development of the individual psyche to the development of human society. And he turned back to actually some earlier work, Totem and Taboo, written uh, before the First World War, described accurately, I think, as a vast anthropological fantasy, which takes us back here to the territory we discussed the other day in the, the lecture on Rousseau, the primal horde, not much far removed from the orangutans uh, that Professor O'Grady mentioned. So the, the, prim the primal horde itself, interestingly, a concept derived directly from Darwin. The basic idea of a primitive, primeval human society uh, in which the uh, uh, group is actually not a vast horde, a small clan-sized group, uh, which is dominated by a single alpha male uh, and in which the primal crime takes place, the murder of the father of the, of the tribe and uh, the taking over of the sexual, his sexual relationships uh, that he'd previously monopolised. This is the supreme drama of human development in Freud's uh, conception, a drama of murder and incest, uh, which led to the development of the basic taboos, the incest taboo, other regulations of human behaviour and sexuality, values that were internalised uh, in human society following the experience of this uh, conflict and an attempt subsequently to avoid this conflict. The values internalised in Freud's theory in the development of a, a parallel to the superego that develops in the individual child in infancy in the cultural ego, uh, superego, which develops in society and which rules society through the influence of guilt. So you have this complex interlocking metaphors of the Oedipus complex in relation to childhood development and the primal crime in relation to uh, the development of human society. And it has to be uh, uh, clearly recognised the methods used are entirely speculative and the results highly provisional highly imaginative and creative and striking as the analysis is. Leon Trotsky strikingly contrasted Freud's method with that of Pavlov. He said Pavlov, because familiar to the uh, Russian uh, uh, readers, but Pavlov dives into the well of the human personality and works his way up from the bottom, trying to work out its characteristic features. Freud, by contrast, stands over the well and with a penetrating gaze tries to peer into the ever-shifting and troubled waters below to make out and guess the shape of things. The results were, as Trotsky acknowledged, conjectural, sometimes fantastically conjectural. But nonetheless, uh, 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 he was uh, open to considering them and he made the very simple point that any definitive view uh, on them must await further investigation and further experimentation. I think we're still waiting uh, for, for the further uh, adequate scientific exploration of these concepts, fruitful and imaginative as they are. But the results we can see at this stage are to present the notion of a culture, human culture, based on guilt. And the key concept here is the development of civilization is paralleled by the development of a cultural superego, a, a superego of civilization. This is, uh, in Freud's sense, in a sense, an advance because external coercion is replaced by a sense of internal coercion which 
creates a greater security of society, but at a tremendous cost because the develop the develop the superego that's developed through this uh, process of internalization of external threats is an agency of unremitting harshness. And this is a very important to, to grasp this. Uh, the, the particular character of this uh, superego, because people often, it's often confused with the notion of conscience or blended with it, but the, the, the concept of the superego is not synonymous with conscience, although it may uh, uh, include it. The, conscious, the, the, the idea of conscience is a con- conscious, rational uh, force that guides human behaviour. The superego is beyond reason beyond the needs and the reach of reason. It's an unconscious process that's developed through the assimilation uh, of of human social and historical experience. And the guilt that uh, it's uh, it's based on is not a guilt that we would understand in terms of remorse at a crime actually committed, but the result of an unfulfilled wish to commit such a crime. In other words, the wish of the uh, young person to kill the father of the tribe and to, to possess the mother. This wish being, and its, its whole emotional intensity being repressed, is experienced as a negation of emotion, as experienced as anxiety and depression, negative uh, emotions, uh, which of course are a universal feature of human experience. And the, the driven by the, the, this concept of guilt, the superego acts to deny the human being gratification, delight, even desire, uh, as a, the price it exacts for uh, maintaining some sort of stability in society. Inevitably, the existence of this harsh and punitive force provokes hostility, and Freud outlines a number of particular areas where this uh, the tensions that result in, the, in, in culture as, as a result of this. One uh, area is the uh, sexual division of labour, the division of labour between uh, women being the responsibility for the family and the home and the men being involved in public life. Uh, that's one area of inevitable tensions. More specifically, the restrictions on sexual life that are imposed as a consequence, the development from the incest taboo on other uh, restrictions to uh, prevent illegitimacy, to enforce monogamy, all of which uh, had become a very systematic feature of contemporary uh, human society and in which which in Freud's memorable term, severely, it was uh, resulting in a sexuality which has severely impaired the life of, of human society. So his concept of the culture, the, the civilization that had emerged as a result of this historical experience was one which was a product of unremitting continuing struggle and conflict between the forces on the one hand of eros, the force of love, life, and on the other hand, the death instinct, the forces of aggression and destruction. The life-affirming instinct, not only a, the quest for sexu- sexual gratification in a selfish sense, but also the sense of reaching out to other human beings to, to, uh, to, uh, 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 in a spirit of solidarity and towards the unity and harmony of society threatened eternally by the uh, uh, persistence of aggressive uh, uh, symptoms, which Freud recognised as being the major threat, which constantly, and a whole complex ethical framework had to be developed in order to try and decide to contain those. The important point to note just in in passing here is that although Freud uh, has the concept of the superego as a, the cultural superego as an unconscious force, of course it's 
has a substantial public and a private one in the terms of the life of the individual in society, it has a substantial public component that uh, the uh, personal behaviour of the individual is policed not only by the punitive superego, as we well know, but also by the, the teacher, by the priest, by the forces of the state in modern society. So that, the, that you can't, it can't be, and this is part of the problem of the extending the analogy from the individual to the, to the wider society, is that some of the specific features of society, in particular all the complex mediating features of social institutions, are somewhat lost in this uh, transition. So let's just turn to look at the issue of repression and the concept of repression uh, in the whole Freudian system because that, as Freud and critics of Freud have rec recognised, is the, really the crucial feature of his understanding of the development of the individual uh, and the, the early stages of psychoanalysis. The, the recognition of an, un an unconscious process through which infantile desire, uh, the desire to... Uh, 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 you know, in the Oedipal terms, to uh, overthrow the father and possess the mother is creates such anxiety that it's repressed, it's blocked, it cannot be expressed, and it's internalised. And that uh, this is, is persists in the, the sense of a threat of punishment, which is internalised in the superego. That's the consequence of uh, the repression of that intolerable uh, emotional uh, uh, experience. And the sense of, uh, in the so, you know, what you might, just might characterize as normal development, that balance between the ego and the id exists in a state of tension, but in a, some sort of balance. Pathological disturbances of those relationships are expressed in neuroses. So that concept of repression is then extended onto the cultural social scale uh, in the development of the cultural superego, the superego of civilization where there's a sense that every internal barrier of repression is the result of an experience of an external obstacle starting from the primal crime and continuing onwards. And this is a very important concept in terms of what's often attributed to Freud in, 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 in described as being reductionist or bio, is biologism, because he has a sense of the human mind as internalising that historical experience. And in a sense, what the superego represents is the concentration of that historical experience within the human mind. History is accumulated, sedimented. I think what the, the, new, the modern neuroscientists would call it hardwired. You know, it's, 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 it has that sort of uh, uh, almost biological character. Of course, again, this is, uh, 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 you know, uh, exists as an entirely speculative sort of theory. It's not, I don't think anybody's yet found the superego using an MRI scan. Although I wouldn't be at all surprised if somebody's uh, at work as we speak looking for it. <laughs> but leaving aside the dark history of the emergence of the superego uh, and how the, the, what might, might start off as a rational, pragmatic authority is turned into a gratuitous tyranny in the form of the, the uh, fully developed uh, superego and all the intensity of emotional uh, uh, energy that it contains, it raises the possibility, the, the possibility emerges out of this analysis is can the superego be brought under any form of rational control? That's the question that emerges in the cause of advancing the uh, spirit of human happiness, which as Freud uh, uh, fully recognised and discusses at length, is frustrated by uh, the development of that repressive uh, power. And Freud raises that question 
and gives a, a rather tentative and gentle but ultimately sceptical reply uh, that he is not uh, uh, really confident uh, uh, that, um, that there is a very much scope for bringing the, in, the, the intensity of these forces under, uh, under control. And that the very least that you can, you can derive from his analysis is that the human mind is a given of biology and history and it's not to be lightly manipulated. I think that's the uh, conclusion that uh, really emerges. Not, I would say, uh, that, it's imp- that, the, uh, that there's no scope for intervention in it, but it's not to be achieved lightly. I, I on that note, move to the third uh, area of this discussion, the question of the revisionists, because that is precisely the focus of much of the controversy around Freud actually during his life, but even more after it. Because the notion that life in modern society is largely intractable is very difficult to live with. It's very much alien to the prevailing ideology of the modern modern world. It's particularly alien to the modern world in which the traditions of Freudian psychoanalysis ended up after the Second World War, which is North America, uh, which has a, a generally... Uh, much more uh, positive and optimistic uh, sense of the development of society and was not burdened by any great exposure to the Hegelian uh, dialectical tradition uh, that, uh, in in some respects, Freud emerged from. So, um, but it's quite interesting to note that although that that questioning and challenging of Freud reached uh, large-scale dimensions in uh, the immediate post-war America... The, it go, all, the, all the critiques, as many people have observed, go back to Alfred Adler, who was the first of the psychoanalytic brothers to part from Freud even before Jung in 1911. Uh, the first sort of major schism in the ranks of psychoanalysis were with Adler, who, of course, was significantly a social democratic politician of some uh, significance. And Adler's key break with Freud took place around these these fundamental issues of the role of repression, of infantile sexuality, of the Oedipus complex, which indeed has been the focus of much of the... Obviously, a tremendous amount of complicated uh, disagreements, but the central issue always comes back to that. And um, the the inclination to replace Freud's, Freud's... uh, emphasis on the uh, instinctual dynamic, the drive of the, the importance of biological drives in terms of the human personality and human society, with a, a greater emphasis on external and social factors, the elevation of the external over the internal factors, and the divorce of the one from the other in an increasingly one sided way. And of course, the critics have always been particularly uh, 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 damning of Freud's uh, reductionism, his biologism, uh, his emphasis on, as I say, an instinct rather than social values, and rather neglected the, 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 all the criticism of, uh, tended to have a, a, a very one-sided way, not to grasp the very uh, subtle way in which Freud always had a sense of, as somebody says, peeling away the social norms to reveal the inner dynamic. Freud is always concerned about the interaction of the external and internal uh, aspects of this process, both historically, culturally, but of course also in in relation to the individual as well, but particularly in terms of this discussion, in terms of the historical, cultural uh, issue. And so there's a striking contrast that that, that you can see, and many people have, have drawn attention to this, 
you know, on the one hand, you can see Freud, who was rather uh, conservative politically, but theoretically radical and willing to follow the where his theoretical uh, inclinations drew him into most uh, uh, views that were profoundly shocking on infantile sexuality and issues like that to contemporary society. But he was so he was theoretically radical but politically conservative. The critics tended to be theoretically conservative but politically radical, or at least liberal social democratic. A tendency which became much more influential in the post-war period when uh, the Freudian, post-Freudian psychoanalytic tradition became influential in the World Health Organization in relation to the, uh, you know, the, in, in England, even the Tavistock Clinic is associated with the post-war uh, welfare state, but in the whole development of post-war American psychiatry, you see uh, uh, um, a, a shift in that direction, uh, uh, an abandonment of the basic uh, theory, fundamental theories of Freud, and a movement in a, or to kind of apply them in a liberal uh, reforming direction. Another contrast is also very striking here between, on the one hand, if you look at Freud in relation to the the, the techniques of individual psychotherapy in relation to the individual, you see a marked therapeutic pessimism. You know, Freud, the, as he famously quoted as saying, the best you can say is that uh, a psychoanalytic therapy can replace a hysterical symptom with everyday unhappiness. <laughs> you know, that, that was far from good enough for the post-war, Freud, post-Freudian therapeutic optimists who had a sense of, uh, blurring the distinction between always between therapy and politics, as uh, numerous people have said, to the detriment of both, uh, because you ended up with a dumbed-down sort of, uh, which of course the, the whole process of post-war, uh, really all sorts of forms of psychotherapy reflect that influence, a sort of dumbed-down therapy with the notion that benign social reforming great society, all the way from the American great society to sure start, uh, can uh, uh, implement the insights from psychology in a way which can deal with the fundamental psychological problems of the individual in modern society. As Christopher Lash, one of the most prescient uh, commentators on this whole trend, uh, observed, this whole tradition lost Freud's most important insight, which is, in his view, the irreconcilable antagonism between culture and instinct, between society on the one hand and the drives of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of the individual human being on the other. And for, as he emphasised, it was not really a, not a question, uh, as people tended to see it, merely abandoning the external constraints on human uh, behaviour, which is, in a way, what the liberal tradition and developed in its fullest way in the sort of notion of the permissive society, abandon all restraints on uh, human behaviour, uh, and that will solve all the problems. Far from it, what that tended to, to reinforce was a, the fragmented uh, narcissistic individualism uh, that uh, uh, resulted from the wider social, political, economic structures of contemporary society. So I think that's the, the, the consequence of the subsequent developments of that in the, in the post-war period. And just say in conclusion, going back to Auden, Freud was often wrong, sometimes absurd, and uh, there's no doubt, I mean, I think, uh, you know, his involvement with Fleiss, for example, was a, uh, was a complete charlatan. The cocaine uh, moment, I think, was a bit of a mistake. Uh, the, 
some of the quarrels in the world of psychoanalysis weren't very edifying. Although, I must say, the thing I found myself taking the greatest exception to in reading some of the recent biographies of Freud was the discovery that he was a supporter of the thesis that the Earl of Oxford wrote Shakespeare's plays. (laughs) Which I think... I mean, I don't begrudge a man a bit of cocaine, but that's going a bit far. (laughs) But looking back on Freud, you know, in some respects... Yeah, I think it's fair to acknowledge one of his greatest achievements. It is, in a way, what he's most popularly associated with, which is sexual liberation. That he was militant in challenging civilised sexual conventions. And that's had a liberalising, beneficial effect on human society. But, you know, and his role in that regard, vastly beyond what he would have anticipated. Uh, and you might say that that is not without its adverse effects as well. But on balance, you'd say in the development of human uh, 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 happiness, I think, uh, he's made some significant contribution there. And so, uh, drawing a balance on Freud, I would generally uh, take a, a rather positive view and, uh, and echo the view of Ernest, his great biographer, Ernest Jones, that he was a man who looked at the world without illusions, but with a warm humanitarian feeling. Uh, as Stuart Hughes, another uh, astute commentator on Freud, observed, Freud observed he confronted the facts of existence with a judicious combination of reason, realism and humanity and noted Freud's conspicuous courage, you know, his courage to deny himself the consolation of religion and to uh, to, uh, defy religious convention in a very uh, 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 straightforward and positive way to the very end of his life. I think Freud summed up his own you know, the the balance of his contribution, you know, very well himself in in the future of an illusion. I'll just read read a brief uh, statement from that by, by way of ending. We may insist as much as we like that the human intellect is weak in comparison with human instincts and be right in doing so. But nevertheless, there is something peculiar about this weakness. The voice of intellect is a soft one but it does not rest until it has gained a hearing. Ultimately, after, after endlessly repeated rebuffs, it succeeds. This is one of the few points in which one may be optimistic about the future of mankind, but in itself, it signifies not a little. And one can make it a starting point for yet other hopes. The primacy of intellect lies in the far, far but still probably not infinite distance. Thank you. You've been listening to a lecture from our archives, Freud, the Unconscious and the Repressive Society by Dr Michael Fitzpatrick, which is from the Academy Summer School back in 2013. Don't forget... If you would like to attend the Academy 2020, that is our online event on the 20th of June that features talks and book discussions organised around the theme Psychology and Democracy, then do please head to our website at theboi.co.uk and go to the page Academy Online. There you'll find full details of the event, speakers and how to register. I very much hope to see you there.